Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. TV party tonight! TV party tonight! Oh, we got... Good evening, everyone, and welcome to TV Party Tonight. I am your host, Alexis Haina, and tonight we are discussing The Midnight Club, the latest foray from Mike Flanagan into Netflix and it says it's a horror mystery thriller, but I think uh, the three of us have agreed that's probably not the most accurate description. Joining me is uh, Robert Winfrey. How's it going, man? It continues to go. A lot of rain, snow in the slightly higher elevations, actually snow where I used to live, which is about 30 minutes from where I currently live, but it was up a mountain. So we're getting ready, getting ready for winter as fall starts to bid us adieu. And, of course, we are so glad he's joining us and still alive. This is, what, the third show I've done where we've had a case of, oh, thank God, Jason Teasley is still alive. You just keep nearly dying on us, man. Yeah, I, I'm living up to my namesake and just cannot be killed. Uh, off. I'm glad to be back, especially talking some kind of what we believed was supposed to be horror with you and Robert. So definitely happy to be here. Yeah, I suggested doing this when it was first announced. I thought the idea was really great. It's like, okay, Mike Flanagan, who has done The Haunting of Hill House, Blind Manor, Midnight Mass. He's given us some amazing horror movies with Oculus, uh, Gerald's Game, and uh, Dr. Sleep. I think we can all agree those were great films. And it was like, this sounds so much fun. It's the idea of these teenagers who are in a hospice house and... The idea that they make a pact that if one of them die, when the first one of them dies, they will give a sign from beyond the grave to let the others know what is going on there. And that concept got so stretched out. 
it just completely lost any and all meaning. So yes, this is brought to us by Netflix and Intrepid Pictures. Uh, we have our eight close terminally ill young adults residing in the Brightcliff Home Hospice just outside of Seattle. Uh, we focus mostly on our main character, Ilanka. She has thyroid cancer. She goes to Brightcliff after reading an article that a previous resident had somehow walked out miraculously cured. And she's hoping to go to Brightcliff and find that cure. We also have uh, Kevin, who she develops a pseudo-romance with, who has leukemia. We have her uh, firecracker bitch of a roommate, that's the term they use. Uh, Anya, who is Irish, uh, has bone cancer and she's stuck in a wheelchair. We have Sandra, who has uh, lymphoma and is a devoted Christian, to the point that they actually get tired of her for throwing in angel porn, as they call it. Yeah. We have Cherie, uh, who we don't learn a lot about because she is a pathological liar, but we do know that <laughs> she has very wealthy parents who I think they, she mentioned they work on a movie set, but again, we don't know yeah. how far that extends. We have Natsuki, who has depression and terminal ovarian cancer. Uh, Amesh, who has glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. I, I'm probably massacring the pronunciation. No, no, that, there. That's, that's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. And Spencer, who uh, has AIDS. So uh, we're probably going to skip the whole episode to episode thing, and we're just going to go ahead and dump or jump, <laughs> dump. We're going to. I was going to say drive in and jump in. But Freudian I think slip. It's a Freudian slip. Very Freudian. And just talk about this show as a whole. Because again, uh, the three of us were very interested in seeing this and discussing this when we first heard about it. We had our hopes very cruelly dashed. So, gentlemen, who <laughs> wants to go first? Go ahead, Jason. I'll let all right. Um, yes, when you first pitched this, and I first seen the trailer uh, with the with the long list of hits that were we was looking at, I was really excited about this, especially the premise of you know pretty much what it was pitched as a teen horror type of um, genre that is really popular now that we're seeing a lot of more stylistic toward but when i started watching it after about two episodes it plateaued for me uh the most interesting character and most memorable character was the roommate uh, and she's the only one that i felt that was written written very well everybody else kind of was pigeonholed into a I guess you could say a stereotypical role. Uh, she's the only one that had range and that you've seen any kind of real arc with because you kind of, as it goes through up to her spoiler, her, her eventual passing, um, you see that she has struggled and seen a lot of people come and go. And this is why she has such a hard exterior. She went from this, really firm believer to this really cynical person and you see this this transition and it's the only character that you feel that anybody can relate to everybody else is very one-dimensional and pigeonholed into a stereo like i said a stereotypical 
um, role, and it and it's all over the place. You you get the the stories, which I love the I love the stories, but outside of them meeting and telling the stories, for me this fell really flat. It became very. Um, I I don't want to say stagnant, but it drug a lot and it took a lot of momentum that it did build. It would take the wind right out of itself just as fast. Definitely. Robert, would you like to add anything to that? Uh, I agree. If we're, again, if we're talking broadly, um, sort of the conception behind this, as I understand it, um, this is based on the, one of the young adult novels that Christopher Pike has written. And if you're mm-hmm. were a teenager, you've probably read at least one thing that he's written at some point. Um, and I know a few different things of his are currently on the table at Netflix. So you know, good for him getting paid. But the kind of conception here was we take the setting from the Midnight Club and then the stories that they tell each other are essentially the other individual Christopher Pike stories. And it's, again, it's not the worst idea, but there's a few pretty glaring errors of execution here, some of which I don't know how you get around. Let me be very clear about that. Um, I got a big gripe with the physicality of the actors here, all of them. The only one who actually looks like she's dying is Anya. And if you want to sell me on Terminal, like, like these people are dying... I, there's got to be some physicality to that. You can't just say, well, they're dying. Um, Amesh is getting there, and I give him a bit of credit, that actor and the way he's written, for kind of starting to showcase that towards the end of the season. But the rest of them, you know, these are, they should not be looking as young and as vibrant and as healthy as they are. And look, I'm not, I'm certainly not advocating for teenagers to be, you know, put through some of the terrible things that are done to adult actors to make them reach physical requirements for acting. But it's a bit of a hard sell when, oh no, she's, our main character is dying of thyroid cancer. When she's just kind of, she looks very normal, like very normal. And it's one thing to have cancer. You can, you can have cancer and look normal depending on where you are in the fighting it process. Mm -hmm. By the time you're on hospice, I'm not saying bedridden, you know, uh, concentration camp survivor, but there's got to be something more to what's going on to you physically than what they showed. Um, You get a little bit of that with, um, I think it was Chris, who's always a little bit too pale, a little bit sunken eyes, but it's... You mean Kevin? Kevin, thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, It just never, it never quite matches up with what we're being told. And there's a pretty big disconnect there. I like the setting. I think they get a lot of mileage out of it. Um, Flanagan has a great eye for set design and for uh, the cinematography that goes into kind of gothic style features. So we get some nice shots. I I would love to understand his obsession with Robin's Egg Blue. Because I've <laughs> seen all of his shows. Uh, so we get that. I could think of worse colors to put in a horror movie. At least it's not nursing home green. True. Well, at least nursing home green might have conveyed the the hospice aspect a little better. Yeah, might but have. it 
it's has that color has a real <laughs> negative effect on a lot of people when uh, the, oh my god what the hell was the name of that marvel series that mark and i reviewed i can't even remember the name of it it was we talked about how it had very little color except for a nursing home green and it actually made me feel sick after a while just like not she hulk not she i was gonna joke and say loki but i was on the review for that one oh, um, i was just going by the physical ill that's why i said she hulk <laughs> fair enough hellstrom that's it oh, oh oh yeah that was i mean I, I i we always joke like oh that was so painful to sit through it's like no hellstrom actually was yeah. I, I i joked with mark was like after watching that back-to-back -back episodes i literally started going through the similar symptoms of like seasonal affective disorder because it is so <laughs> unsaturated that it is literally unpleasant to look at and makes you feel sick yeah uh we we don't quite have that problem here so again i like the sets the show drags it just does there's no two ways around it the some of the character interactions wind up a little bit flat. Um, I kind of agree with uh, Jason in that most of these are very, they're more caricatures than characters. And we're meant, I think we're meant to kind of develop them more as time goes on, but it does make for a pretty poor viewing experience when, again, you have Natsuki. So what's her, you know, character? I mean, she's dying, so there's got to be something complex here. Well, her dad's dead and she's depressed. Yeah, we don't find out about the whole depression thing until it's like, what, two, maybe three episodes from the end? And yeah. it kills me because that was a great arc, actually, to find out. We find out that she actually tried to commit suicide mm -hmm. from depression. And her mother saved her. And it was when she was recovering in the hospital that the doctors found out she had cancer. And she realized that she didn't want to die anymore. And I thought that as someone who has fought depression for years, I was like, that is so impactful. And that alone would have been a great story arc. Um, you know, ditto. Some of the names are escaping me, but ditto yeah. our gay, ditto our gay character. Like Spence. what's his Spence? What's his deal? Well, he's gay and his religious mother doesn't accept him. Okay. Anything else? Nah, that's kind of it. <laughs> and they could have used that. They could have moved that arc a little bit earlier in the season. And because I felt that arc was really rushed. Like when he goes to visit and it's like he goes, he states his case. And then she's visiting on family day. It's like there's no gravitas of the 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 characters, like what they're dealing with up on top of their illness their family struggles and everything i i felt that a lot of like alexis says a lot of things were were good concepts just executed poorly and that they could have sprinkled in throughout the season like even just focus a little bit of backstory on each episode and just kind of dive into the backstory of each character to where they came to the hospice home and what they struggled with on their journey there and then bridge from there. Cause I think that that's one thing that really took me out of it. It's because I felt nothing 
for these characters outside of Anya. Definitely. And going back to what you guys were saying about Spence, we do get a little bit with him uh, in a later episode when, uh, oh my God, what's the name of the nurse who's also gay, uh, takes him to a meeting with this group and they're doing activism. And he talks to us like, how did you get into that? And I thought, this is kind of cool. You know, this guy who's been sheltered and just feels so, you know, everything that's happened with his parents and he sees, well, maybe I can do something out of this and get involved in activism about that. Again, that would have been a really good arc, but we're not getting that. It also, uh, you, again, you I know. The get a, you just get a feel good moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And again, the stories are really good, but I think they're part of the problem with the pacing on this, because as much as some of these, and I'm going to say some of these stories, sorry, some of them started out okay and got really old really fast. Yeah. Yeah. They're very uneven. (laughs) It does make me laugh really hard though. The first uh, episode, uh, Natsuki is telling a story and it basically just evolves into literal jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. Which is in the Guinness Book of World Records now. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God damn, you're making me choke. Way to go, Jason. <laughs> there we go. If I got if I got to fight death, so do you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, it's funny because Mike Flanagan has always been a director that doesn't rely on jump scares. He uses them very sparingly in his films. I think that's something we've all, you know, gravitated yeah. towards with his style. And now he's in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most jump scares in a single episode yeah and that's and going back to like uh haunting a hill house the the tone is what made that so so scary and so interesting not the up in your face jump scares it had a few but it wasn't it was very well veiled this was up in your face and it totally was a stark contrast from his style and I think that that might have been what took me out of it, too, because I'm so used to his style. And then just seeing a very stark contrast kind of took me out of things a little bit. Uh, my other big problem with this series uh, is the incongruity of the timeline. <laughs> this is set in the late 90s. You've mentioned this a couple of times on the chat. I I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, this is set in the late 90s, which is a fine enough time period. You know, it's about 30 years ago, give or take. We, and now we need to set old. it up where they don't have cell phones and easy yeah. access yeah. to Internet. That Yeah, that that's fine. You know, you, you need a reason to keep these characters isolated. Yeah, and it's a fine time period to set up a, a show in as good as any other. But there's... This is especially true for any of us that lived through it. Raise your hand if you're on the show and were approximately the age of these kids at that time period. Uh, I would have been on the younger side. I um, they, they are graduating again, like 97-ish. I graduated in 04, but close enough. Um, there's a few things that go on here that it just bugs me if you want to... If you're going to set something in a time period... There's concessions you have to make to make me believe that, make anyone believe that. A big one is dialogue. There's a real flaw in this, is especially true of contemporary filmmaking. You might be true as well if we go back in time a little bit. You just make young people talk like the young people of whenever, of 
real time rather than the young people of yeah. the time you're setting the film in. Yeah, you don't do research on how kids talked at that time. So, Or it's more of a case of we don't want to alienate our viewers, so we want them to gravitate more towards these kids, and they will gravitate more towards them if they talk like if they talk with contemporary speak st sp speech styles there yeah and uh, again I, i'm not ignorant to the some of the considerations going on here but if you're gonna make a thing out of it you do have to make concessions to that and none of none of the language here is authentic to the time period not a single solitary bit of it uh, you're you're relying on contemporary idioms from 2022 to make them sound young rather than stuff that would be more contemporary to 1997. And not uh, arguing with you, but can you give an example? I, I'm just curious. Well, they they do a lot of what the actual. Okay. Which is that's a like late teens uh, yeah. linguistic phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Wasn't a thing in the 90s. Okay. There's, Again, it's like I'm sure I, I'm sure you're right, but I was just curious if you did have an example. <clears throat> there's also the omissions. I, I mean, again, there's a bunch of slang that didn't get ported over. Uh... Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job; it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Which is, again, somewhat okay because certain slang goes, like, it becomes obsolete when it stops being used. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I get it. You don't want to inundate us with it, but you could remind us that this is a different time period. Um, by way of example, there's an episode of Supernatural, and Lord knows there's plenty of them. But <laughs> one of the brothers goes back in time to the 30s, and he meets um, Elliot Ness. And Ness, at one point, takes issue with some of Dean's vocabulary, like because the the usage of different words has changed, and then hits him with a string of 1920s and 30s slang and dean is left utterly befuddled by this and like you need something you, we don't have to go that far and we're not talking that that extreme for the timeline but you needed a little bit of that and uh, did you need one of the kids to go as if or you're all that in a bag of chips something like that yeah i mean saying that i think i just got another gray hair okay <laughs> but yeah i mean as if would have worked great like that yeah that, that's one that translates very easily via context clues if nothing else and was incredibly uh that, that was omnipresent <laughs> omnipresent it was everywhere yeah. yeah uh i mean we didn't need to be saying eat my shorts or anything like that but i mean but you still have you gotta it this goes back to something we talked about shortly off air is you had to identify your audience. Was you going uh, a young 
teenage demographic? Was you trying to get the nostalgic value from the, you know, people growing up at that time? If so, the the slang, the <clears throat> even the cadence uh, was very yeah not there, and it kind of take. Like I said, uh, some of these things, you know, as I did live through it, I graduated in 96. The the fact that the dialect, the cadence, the voice cadence, there was nothing to, like, connect me to that, to pull me into that time frame. Because I guess they thought, you know, just the sound of a dial-up modem was going to be enough to spark nostalgia and make sure Dial that, modem and that gigantic box <laughs> of a computer yeah oh my god yeah just watching Use them the floppy it, disks and it was it was just one of those things that i feel that the disconnect for the audience they didn't know their audience and who they wanted their audience to be and it kind of created a disconnect because like i said we're all three here, we're pretty much the the go-to people here at W2M Network when it comes to horror. And, you know, if you're going to do a horror timepiece, make it make sense. Um, so you, you know, I'm going way back. Um, me and Robert covered uh, Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. And it was Good very stylistic. It was very stylistic. And me and him loved it. Because it was so true to the time period that it added the the level of horror. Mm-hmm. This it it doesn't know its identity. It's all over the place. It's very disjointed, and I, I think that if you're going to do a period piece, like Robert said, you need to do your research, get the voice cadence down, get some mannerisms, some something to tie that to it rather than being all over the place and trying to use contemporary language in a, in a dated time piece. I mean, I, with the, I'm going to let me preface what I'm about to say with, I know why they didn't do this and I don't even necessarily object to it in the, in some kind of, um, you know, how dare you kind of way, but if you're going to set a show in the 90s at any point, and I apologize if this word offends anyone listening, but none of your teenage characters say fag, you have failed utterly to understand what the la- <laughs> what language of teenagers was like in the 90s. And, and again, I get it. I don't use that word in casual conversation anymore because I understand that the usage of that the meaning and the usage and the reaction to it has changed. But I was a teenager around this time period and everywhere everyone if you were a teenager around this time period you did it you said it i know because everyone did <laughs> uh to build off that also that's gay yeah and and the word and here come all the demonetized marks on youtube <laughs> yeah uh, they're I mean, look, that that was just the vernacular of the time. Yeah, I'm not saying you guys are wrong. You're 100% right. We had not entered the PCH. Yeah, right. And so, again, you've lost a lot of that. You've 
you've built in a lot of 2022 sensibilities into 1990s teenagers and it's and that, that's not just language in this instance um alanka befriends a random stranger she stumbles across in the woods <laughs> now if you live in 2020 and 2022 or whatnot and you're considering how we interact with each other that's not the craziest thing in the world as someone who again was approximately of this age in the <laughs> 90s you did not talk to strangers it, we are again we're all of like what five years removed from the height of the stranger danger yeah uh, roughly. advertisements and whatnot so i understand why it has to happen i don't even necessarily hate that your theoretical smart person is conned by a professional con artist that's what they do like that that's not my objection to this my objection is more you did not engage with random people that you ran into the same way you do nowadays. And it's a pretty big, because it's so important to what happens in the story, it becomes an even more glaring uh, anachronism from the 90s. I give credit to Samantha Sloyan, who played that woman in the wood Shasta. She played Bev Keen in mm -hmm. Midnight Mass, who is, I do honestly think, going down as one of the best horror villains we have had in a while. She's... I heard this term refer. Um, I heard this term about her, and there's characters like her. They are, they're called hate sinks. And the line I heard was, "She's the most effective one that this particular." It was someone on Twitter, I think. Um, the most effective hate sink since like, um, oh, who's the teacher from Harry Potter? The name is Severus Snape. No, um, no, no, no. Um, oh, um, well, Dolores Umbridge. Dolores Umbridge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Again, like this is a character that just all of your hate gravitates right towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she does a really good job. And, and I'm just going to say all of the actors here do a fairly good job. I mean, I remember a lot of us were excited to hear that Heather Langenkamp, one of the ultimate last girls of horror iconography, yeah. was going to be have a prominent role on this. And another thing I'd like to add is that the stories have a little bit of fun by using the same actors who are telling yeah. the stories as characters so you see a lot of these actors playing multiple roles and i thought that was actually a very creative idea i mean when we think about stories you know in our heads we tend to juxtapose people we know in those roles when right. we read a book we tend to see the main characters as people we know that's just the way our imagination is filling in the gaps so the yeah. idea that the characters in these stories being the character the, the people in, around them really makes a lot of sense and i thought that was a great idea and again he lets them show off more of their acting chops especially langenkamp who gets to play a lot of different roles in this <laughs> I, I i again and we're not going to talk about the stories just yet but i loved her in anya's story about the dancer with the devil and that she's playing that, a good one. that was probably my favorite story out of all of them yeah, Langenkamp just has so much fun with it. You get a one world with she's she's a cop and she comes in and she's got kind of a Boston and New Yorkie yeah. accent a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and because uh, because that's being told in like a noir style, there's a little bit of like the you know yeah. the, the the 50s speech patterns and whatnot yeah. that kind of go into that. And she again, she is clearly having a blast with all of this. Oh yeah, she le she leads into the characters heavily, and you could tell that she is just enjoying herself. And, but another thing I do want to talk about is the mystery, which I am using with gigantic air quotes, yeah. 
because uh, again, Alonka reads an article about uh, this woman who was at the uh, hospital at the hospice, and she walked out for like two weeks and then came back miraculously cured. And this is Ilanka's quest: is she wants to find the cure, not just for herself. She fought at first for herself, but then she really starts to bond with the other teens, and she wants to get them cured as well. And we find out more about this cult called the paragon and the symbol of an hourglass that keeps showing up in random spots and that they did cult activities to the five goddesses and just it and again i thought this was going to be the big thing that we were going to get a lot in that angle and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think paragon really gets explained or explored it doesn't get fleshed lot. out now there's it, there the cult aspect of it is kind of downplayed uh when she discovers that you know again shasta who winds up to be the uh the woman who had the same kind of cancer that alanka has so her real name her not hippie name was um julia julia something? jane yeah, yeah. Uh, and she, she says, no, the Paragon, you know, they were misguided, but they were, you know, on the, like there was, they started in a good place and they got misguided and, uh, Heather Langenkamp's character won't talk about it. And it, there's not a lot of information available and it like the, the story that we're told about, you know, them finding a bunch of people dead in the basement after a failed ritual to, appease the old gods um i did get a bit of a kick out of a mesh when he discovers when they all come down to that like weird room in the again in the basement like below the uh, mortuary room that's in the hospice he just looks around and actually like quotes lovecraft uh, i think he's like oh cthulhu for talking <laughs> which it, it popped me <laughs> i guess the thing i never understood was that we don't find out if anything the paragon did actually works uh langenkamp's character the doctor says that julia pretty much just got healed by luck that she was one misdiagnosed of misdiagnosed one of the treatments worked i i don't know so, and that's true sometimes terminal illness just goes away you know there are cases of that and you look at the time period too misdiagnosis was not an uncommon thing mm-hmm yeah, there's Absolutely. a there's a lot of um, you know, MRI technology was not nearly as widely available, so you're doing a lot of this off of um, X-rays or other uh, less sophisticated scans. Mm -hmm. uh, in the case of a few of them, I believe it was just like um, endoscop endoscopies, which yeah. nowadays you have a camera pill you can swallow. Back in the day, it was no, this is going down your throat, and you get to be conscious. Yeah, anyone else remember that scene from The Exorcist when they're doing the brain scans? Ugh. Yep. Ugh, that doesn't make you want to stay away from a hospital for the rest of your life. I don't know what will. But again, we don't find out the extent of this cult and these five goddesses. This was built so much with the story arc that they were trying to find out if there was something beyond the grave. That they're like, we're all going to die. One of us needs to give a sign that there is something. And I thought that mixing up with this cult... They were going to start hearing from beyond the grave and it wasn't the right answer you know kind of like uh flatliners meets ouija or something like that you yeah, know what right. i'm talking yeah, about I could, yeah. I could see i could see that that premise working a lot better 
Yeah. Um, as we talked about, there's a real identity crisis in this show. I don't mind the ambiguity um, for the characters, right? So I'm okay with the characters not being sure if there's mysticism or if it's all just you know the real world and we're you know we're hallucinating as we approach death and we're on all these meds and we're, you know some of us are just desperate enough to believe anything about potentially healing ourselves. I'm okay with the I'm okay with the characters having some ambiguity around this. I'm a it's a much trickier line to walk to try and confuse your audience with it. Yeah. You're, you're this is real close. I'm not saying it crosses this line. This is real close to JJ Abrams mystery box phenomena <laughs> here. Good one. You know, we also have these two ghosts that repeatedly show up in visions to Alonka and we later find out to Oh my god, I'm already blanking on the dude's name and I corrected you on him earlier. Kevin, thank you. <laughs> that's how that's how bland the show is. Yeah. I can't we can't remember the characters. And we do find out at the end that these are apparently the spirits of the people who founded the hospice yeah. or or built the home or whatever it was. But why are they saying it's like there you are and I'm hungry? Yeah. Why are they doing that? Again, if there's an if there's a reason and I missed it someone let me know it's, it's I, like one that this, i picked up on yeah it's like i'm hungry is the scooby gang going to show up with some sandwiches what um we are we are perilously close to scooby-doo territory in this show like yeah we're, I was we're on that for, precipice oh my god uh, which i mean and that's that's not too far-fetched because you're just waiting for somebody to pull the mask off which surprise quote that does happen you 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 pull the mask off to see what actually was going on uh, with the um, ritual, the the new ritual, and find out what's really going on with that. I, what the the misdirection was. But again, we don't was. know if that ritual would have worked or not. Yeah, we do right. Not yeah. It's like was. I, you know, it's like the, that, that's the only thing I appreciated about that. Um, there's some. There's a bit of a. Uh, of a thread in criticism that comes from, and I've probably been guilty of this in the past, mind you, but the notion that all kind of twists and misdirections have to be completely blind, have to completely blindside you rather than necessarily be, you know, adequately predicted, uh, predictable. There's some changes to the dialogue from Shasta in the lead up to that, uh, to her, you know, ritual. Uh, that if you're paying enough attention, you realize what's going on there. Like, not only is this not for Alanka, but her cancer has come back. There's some of the stuff. She again, she stopped using the past tense from referring to it. And nice it, catch. I didn't little catch stuff that, like again. There's some little stuff like that that kind of just if you're paying enough, if you're paying a bit of attention, it makes that whole sequence more ominous. And yeah, it mm -hmm. that's a, and again to the credit of that scene in particular, we don't know if it would have worked. And I'm not, I'm willing to give that at the moment a little bit of a, you know, we, we should have a slightly clearer understanding of this. At the same time, that sequence works mostly because, because we're not fooled. Because the audience is, like, we're sitting here going, no, you listened to a hippie you ran into in the woods, who's a member of a death cult, and now she's telling you to drink the potion, just shut up and drink the we know this is a bad idea. We know what's actually going on here. Yeah. And, the that, and that, again, that, that dramatic irony there, you know, the audience knows something the characters don't. 
we know this is bad. We know if you drink this, you're going to die. She doesn't. She's still a little unclear about what's going on. But how did she get away, though? She she doesn't just live in the woods. She runs a company out yeah. of the woods. We see her shipping materials. Mm-hmm. It's like this. She's got to be. It's like maybe. Yeah, maybe she yeah. fled from the cold, but she's still going to be relatively easy to track. What would have been the what I was waiting for is when they was down there getting ready to do the ritual to see like a druid, like undo his uh, hood. It'd be M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong going, what a twist. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not handled the best. Um, you know, again, how this how she escapes. Um, I think they're going to lean heavily, and when they try to like explain how she's still on the loose for the future seasons, I think they're going to be leaning heavily into the lack of fast information relative to what we expect nowadays. And um, and that's a weak crutch. Okay, guys, you keep mentioning future seasons of this. Yeah, um, there's not there's not one. No, this is a mini isolated miniseries. Yeah. There is was not it? A, yes, yeah, this is it, which sure? makes this ending all the worse. Yeah, that's, that's I could have sworn I met. I could have sworn I read on the wiki that this was conceptualized as multiple seasons. I am not seeing no. anything on reception or future. I'm not it seeing anything here. It says it was. It's been renewed or second seasons coming. So and so. I am not seeing yeah, anything, which frankly every- makes the ending of this so much worse. If the, yeah, okay, the- yeah, if this is a singular, then yeah, that's that's a lot of crap. Uh, hang on, let me see if I can find where that. Yeah, was. I mean, I'm with you. I'm hoping that this was originally conceptualized as a multi-season idea, and it, it, the fact, and, and you know, like maybe halfway through film, they're like, "Oh no, it's just a mini-series." But at the same time, this is what, you know, Flanagan excels at, these miniseries for Netflix, like Hill House, Blind Manor, Midnight Mass. So I'm finding it a little hard to believe that he went into this thinking, okay, I can just answer all the questions in season two. Yeah, I'm, again, I know I read that. I'm not sure exactly um, where it it was, but I, I, I remember distinctly getting to the end of this and then looking that up because otherwise this doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. Again, you might be right. And this is just, hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day. Couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba casino. Chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little, actually a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I'm uh, looking on IGN right now. Okay, here we go. On the series release in October 2022, Flanagan confirmed that the series would also adapt all 28 books of Pikes, having pitched the series as the Midnight Club, but the stories the kids tell each other 
will be other Christopher Pike books planning for multiple seasons. But I'm not seeing anything else on here about when more seasons are going to be released. Okay, so, uh, well, at least we know the, okay, so at least the plan is multiple, was multiple seasons. So I'll give, again, I'll give a little bit of a pass in the sort of conceptual phase to that. Um, That said, man, you picked the wrong time to have a Netflix show not necessarily resonate the way you wanted it to. They are not as forgiving with their money as they used to be. Gone are the days when they'll just throw a ton of money at lock and key to make three lackluster, crappy seasons of television. <laughs> Still well, better. Let's just hope that uh, the fall of the House of Usher does better to revive Flanagan's name. Still looking forward to that. Really intrigued by what he can do with that. Besides, it's freaking Edgar Allan Poe. I am a sucker for anything related to Poe. Yeah. Also looks like a handful of the uh, actors who are in this are also coming back in addition to the usual cycle of uh, actors that uh, Flanagan works with. Bruce well, Greenwood's seven. coming back. Carla Gugino is going to be coming back. Well, some of the, I mean, plenty of the actors in this one are people he's worked with before. He, mm-hmm. you know, he finds the people he likes to work with and brings them along for the ride. It, it's worked number. for... T- it's worked for Tim Burton all these years. Works for Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I do want to bring up, because we talked about the uh, isolated stories that the kids tell each other. And I think we all agreed that most of those were pretty good. Uh, Jason, you said your favorite one was, I think it's called The Tale of the Two Danas. Yeah. the the Because, I mean, that's a struggle that I feel a lot of people deal with feeling that they're pulled so many directions at the same time. And I don't know. I mean, I've said it myself and I've heard many other people say it. I wish there was just two of me to be able to get everything done. But then you have the pure and the, you have the yin and yang, the, the, the totally two ends of the spectrum. You have the good girl that does everything right. And then you have the wild side. And it shows the contrast of basically the inner turmoil that a lot of us deal with. Uh, You know, we have a certain persona that we have to abide by when we just want to be carefree and do absolutely whatever we want without no repercussions. And it gives you that. And that's what I resonated with a lot is because it's that inner struggle that and you see that you're kind of protecting yourself and that a lot of people around you have your best interests. That's why they keep you in basically in a confined per se um, lead way. So you don't go too far to one end of the spectrum or other and you, and they protect you from yourself and that's one of that's the story that I thought one was the best portrayed, two the the best written and like I said visual aspect, and that I could relate to the most. All right, uh, Robert, you want to tell us what your favorite of the stories was? Favorite, the mass murderer. It's Robert. 
The one with Dusty. The serial killer. The yeah. serial killer. It's it's Robert. It's the serial kids getting kids getting killed, and we all know that Robert said that that doesn't happen enough. Claw hammer to the head. I for, for the record, I said if you're gonna put I said if you're gonna put kids in your movie and you want to have them be in believable peril, you do have to kill one or two of them along the way. And that that's happens. Just, that's just how that goes. Uh, Dusty's story is pretty good. Um, I'd be remiss not to at least kind of poke a little bit of fun at Terminator meets uh, War Games. <laughs> oh, uh, you're talking about Spence's story uh, with the cyborg. Oh, a mesh's story with the um... with time travel and how do yeah. we and how do you play thermonuclear war? Yeah, I, move, I was the excited only way to, to move see is not to play. I was excited to see the that other actor from Midnight Mass back in that one. Yeah. He's a, I've been a fan of his since he was in the uh, iZombie series. He's a really good actor. Yeah, uh, yeah he's very good. Mm-hmm. So there was um, so that one I poked a little bit of fun at the cyborg. Uh, I didn't hate that one. I think of one like what one might have actually stuck out to me. Why don't I go ahead and tell mine yeah, what you think yeah. about it? I, I mean, again, um, there's only a handful to choose from. I don't, I don't think any of them tr- really resonated with me. I think the one that stuck the most with me was Road to Nowhere. That was Natsuki's story. Uh, a good one. That yeah. turns out it was all in her mind while she was contemplating suicide. Not only, again, I have fought and suffered through depression for many, many years. So not only is that relatable to me, but I thought it was one of the stories that had genuinely the best scares. There is a real air of anxiety when she picks yeah. up these two hitchhikers and they're saying random things and they're telling her, it's like, pull over. No, don't pull over. Pull over. No, don't pull over. And she thinks she's seeing things and she's not sure. Mm-hmm. And she keeps looping and she's looping around, you know, going in a cycle. And she can't. It's like there's something going on. You know, it real. That's one of the stories I felt that really put you the most on edge. It was that one very well. That, I think that was the most atmospheric of the stories. Like that's the mm-hmm. one that actually kind of gets you into the into what's going on in that way. Uh, I mean, my battles with depression, my suicide, my suicidal ideation never got towards, uh, never attempted, uh, mm-hmm. never even really planned. Again, where you fall, like ideation is the it, it's a gradient in that respect. At least. It, Used to be. I don't know if they've changed the criteria and formulas again because they switch those every so often for nebulous reasons. But the fact is that even if I, I've never attempted either, but even if you have a when you suffer from depression, that line, you can live, but it's gonna hurt. That yeah. that hits so That's, hard. I mean, look, man. If you ever wonder why people who are so depressed sleep so much, because it doesn't hurt when it sleeps. Exactly. Uh, no, that that one really got me, and it yeah. kind of portrays the the endless feeling of despair and like you're trying to find your way, and you're you feel like you're drowning in your own thoughts, and that portrays that really well. As, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was probably the most well kind of fully realized most well conceptualized of the stories mm-hmm. all right any other thoughts on any more of those stories robert there no nothing in particular again there's a individual mileage is going to vary on them um 
you know, there, there's a little something for everyone in there. You know, they touch on a bunch of different um, kind of subgenres. Again, you've got a neo-noir detective story. You've got the haunted serial killer. Uh, you've got the good witch whose power will potentially cost her her life. And well, what's beyond the grave? Uh, pretty classic doppelganger slash deal with the devil. Neither of which is a good thing. Just don't do it. <laughs> hey. Uh, and like we we talked about this, I I think it suffered from trying to have too much filler, yeah. and I, I think you could have trimmed about three episodes off this and condensed it down and made it a little bit more tighter, move some of the things around where you have the the arcs playing out over those seven episodes and I think you would have got a a lot better of a composite than what we actually got and the fact is that the different style of stories that these kids tell is enjoyable but yeah. I think it actually leads to a bigger problem we've talked about the pacing and the tone this show does not can't figure out if it wants the focus <laughs> yeah. to be on the stories or on the kids themselves and i honestly feel that that is a major problem yeah it's, it's a, a three essential problem it's, yeah it's three essential it's three essentially separate things trying to be woven together you have the stories that the kids are telling the kids themselves and the cult and you're trying to weave it together and it's really hodgepodge yeah there's not a lot of cohesion there on a from a narrative perspective this show also doesn't quite know what its audience is um we've talked a little bit about this but if you're aiming for the younger demographic i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but if you are having this be rated tvma and dealing with and the language in particular is a real problem for you know 12 to 13 year olds that might be wanting to watch this for you know, young adult stuff um yeah you're not they're probably not going to wind up watching something that uses profanity the way this show does if you want to lean heavier into a more adult audience then your language is you know the, the, the language isn't a problem anymore but there's not a lot that about this that's very compelling to you know, the adult viewers um i had a similar problem i haven't watched cobra kai and i'll there's a very specific reason I don't care about the lives of teenagers and there's a lot of that show that requires you to care about the lives of teenagers. And I do not, uh, again, to everyone out there that doesn't like Cobra Kai, you know, Hey, good on you. I don't, not me saying a, um, that's not a critique in, that's not a style critique. That's a, what, that's a buy-in critique. Like you have to buy in to yeah. enjoy the show. And this is part of the buy-in and it's, I'm not going to do it. This has a bit of a similar vibe. You have to kind of care about what the teenagers are going through. And it's it's not an impossible ask, but it's a little bit of a big one. And it, this all kind of struggles to be juxtaposed with the reality that these kids are dying. Uh, that's something that gets... it's get, It gets a bit of lip service, but there's only a couple of times when it actually resonates. Um, one being, you know, when Anya actually dies. And good on them for pulling the trigger on that one, by the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you I'm sorry, man. If you set this show with this premise and none of them die by the end of it, you have failed. Like there I think I think just having I think just having one die is kind of a failure because this goes back to us talking about it being multiple seasons. These kids are terminally ill. They have to die. Yeah, the fact I hate to say, but we knew that Ilanka was not gonna find her mystery yeah. cure. The show cannot have the message, oh yeah, there's a cure out there for terminal patients. No, we, you can't give can't that false hope. No, we can't there's, do that. There's um I don't know why I don't know why this crossed my mind when I was watching this, but there's a real there's a real possibility, I think, that artistically at least each one of the individual patients represents one of the different stages of grief. Right. You've That's an interesting thought. You've got denot you've got um because Kevin oh, okay. is Kevin's accept- denial. Alonka's denial slash yeah. bargaining. Like she's she'll do whatever it takes to get out of it. Well, uh, again, like slash, I'm not quite sure where exactly she falls there. Um Spence strikes me as the one kind of in denial about it. Like because he just and I think a little bit of that is because their portrayal of AIDS here is um again, leans on a 2020 understanding of that illness rather than the 90s reality of it. The fear-mongering that we've seen in the 90s. Absolutely. Uh, Anya would definitely be anger. Yeah, yeah, Anya's very angry. (laughs) Again, you've got Kevin as acceptance Mm -hmm. because he's the uh, he has the line actually earlier when he talks with Alonka, you know, where he says everyone here kind of talks about the fact that we're dying, but they don't get it. I do really like his line at the end of the series. Dying is a poor excuse not to live. Good line. That is a good line. Very good line. All right. So then we have Cherry. uh, Sherry? Cherry? Who is the... uh, Cherry, thank you. Who is the uh, pathological liar. Uh, We have Amesh. And we have Sandra, who's the devoted Christian. Where would they... They, uh, Cherry would probably be bargaining because she is... There's a lot of wealth there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're... Yeah, so I would think the bargaining might fit her. Well, and well, not to be very obvious about it, but Natsuki would be depression. Oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, again, like you can kind of see the different stages, and again, some of them kind of slip in and out. They go to different; uh, they represent different ones at different uh, points in the show and whatnot. But if you want to make this again, kind of a uh, big metaphor for the grieving process and coming to terms with your own mortality you spend an awful lot of time confusing the audience about the status of magic and the cult and again if you want this to be you know how do how do you deal with the end of your life especially if you're young and you didn't really get to live uh, a long period of time that's there's plenty of you know as Mark said, there's plenty of grist for the mill there. There's plenty of material to be mined. But you then muddy the waters with the supernatural, and it, it just becomes confused about you know what you're trying to do here. I'm with you guys. Cut anything associated with Paragon and the cult and make it a TV... Not Y7, but... 14? 14. 14, 13, 14, something like that? Yeah. You could do TV yeah. 14 pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what uh, American Horror Story is, TV 14. And mm-hmm. it blurs the line at times to that mature audience. But I think you could have still done the cult. 
but have it as like kind of underlying throughout the entire thing. Just kind of give like nods to why, when they're telling the story, have like some kind of reference to it. Like you know what you know what you need for that if you want to do it this way. I think you need a recurring character throughout all of their stories. Yeah, yeah that's who's, what I'm saying. Just kind of having a nod to it. That could have been yeah. good. And it it would need to be a recurring character, like again, a recurring character or a recurring actor who doesn't actually change to the story, but is always the same. It always presented the same, so it fe- they feel very alien when they pop up in different locations. And, and, a pre- ha- and a portrayed by an actor who is not previous. Not, yeah. Yeah. Not in the house. Yeah. Abs- yeah. Absolutely not in the house. And that that that's going to kind of add to the eeriness of what's going on without necessarily going too far overboard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having like as a background character, not somebody that's going to be showing a lot of scenery, just kind of a a brief interaction, just kind of in the background, just a wink and a nod that is kind of like a thread through all the stories. Maybe that a is, tease at the end, kind of yeah. like the end of The Shining, where we see the a picture of the former Midnight Club and that character, not the character, but the actor. Yeah, the actors in the picture. It. So, it's like, so it's kind of like the idea, it's like, how did they know about this person? Well, maybe there is a presence in the house that seeped into their stories. Right. Uh, you could have, like, woven that in. And, and it, would be, it, would ni- it would blur the lines nicely, too, because it could also be... You know, we all, we've we've all walked past this picture a hundred times, so it's all just kind of imprinted on us subconsciously. Exactly. And There's... it would have gave you cohe- cohesion through yeah. everything and tying everything together a little bit more neatly. Yeah, there, there's a fun little thread here that gets uh, introduced and then sadly I don't think explored enough, where they discover you know, they kind of mention it when we first are introduced to the to the club. You know, it's been going as long as we've been coming here. You know, so whoever got there first, like, yeah, it was started, it, you know, the other people were doing it when I got here. And then it's just kind of perpetuated itself. And then they find records going back, you know, much later where here's where it originally started. Which, again, like that's a, I don't know if you've ever been part of something that is kind of almost insular, but self-perpetuating like that. I had a weird moment about this with uh, when it comes to scouting. Um I was uh, I was heavily involved in scouting in my teenage years, as most people of, especially at that time, most people of my faith are. And I again, became an adult, and years later, uh, was I got to go on a couple, a few other campouts with some my two youngest brothers when uh, when they started in on that. And it's really odd to kind of see some of the same idiosyncrasies that we all did still just kind of, they just exist because there's always, there's always turnover, but there's always somebody who knows. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you get, I mean, the, the, you know, what's the big one? If you want to get smoke to stop blowing in your face, you say fluffy bunnies. I don't know where that thing came from. No earthly idea, but that's something that you do. Yeah. And yeah. Seeing that happen just randomly, you know, some other people were doing, some other kids said it as we're, you know, setting up camp or what I just had a moment of pause, like, huh, some of this stuff really does kind of live forever that way. <laughs> yeah. And it, and what would be even better is, I mean, they, when she's getting the tour of the house and they say that this is the hall of, of alumni, basically, you, you could have, Right there was your opportunity. 
And what would have even been better if uh, if they would have had like they could have done this and it would have been perfect because it would have been subconsciously uh, Heather Langkamp could have been an original Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark member of the midnight club that kind of transcended and is kind of take, woven take a woven picture in. of you know uh young heather yeah and uh and woven in because she's so prominent in their lives that subconsciously she's going to be included in other stories just like they done but have it like where you've got her kind of at, at the forefront have like another character just in the background that is in a older picture, like we said, with them and just kind of have it. And where she's actually got all this interaction, she's automatically ingrained in their their stories as, like you said, we kind of fill in those gaps with people we know. So this would have been a good way to, one, tie every all three of the, the three parts together. You would have got a more cohesive storytelling you could have got winks and nods throughout those episodes to like, okay, well, why does she keep popping up as this? And because the mind and the psyche is one to go to what you're familiar to. Mm-hmm. Or even if you could, if you wanted to have uh, Anya as like, because she was the oldest one there, have her be the one that is, especially when we get the big reveal with the ballerina, have her be the one that kind of is, you know, after, you know, you could have closed on everything and just had, like, Anya, because we know they're terminally ill, and, like, have when the last person of this Midnight Club is passing away, have Anya come back in a different, like, depiction of her to carry on the midnight club all right netflix i think you need to hire us we're better writers <laughs> yeah than what you hired on for this series i think we just came up with some really good ideas for you yeah um again i paid I, intern i think that there's an there was an idea when they kind of put this when they could kind of put pen to paper here that we're going to get two or three seasons so some of the ideas that they have, they tease here and we get like stage one of what's pretty clearly meant to be multiple stages. And now you're stuck in a bit of a limbo position where you're just hoping that Netflix decides that your numbers are good enough for Netflix to go. You know what? Sure. 
make seasons two and three and whatnot. Um, but other because otherwise, yeah, this is narratively deeply unfulfilling on a tremendous, tremendous level. Do you think that maybe the reason why it was so bogged down and everything that he went in having like a five to six episode tight story and Netflix was like, no, we need to flesh this out to 10 episodes. Could have been, uh, maybe crazier things have happened. What would have been, what I think would have, could have worked even better is five episodes, a tight, a tight five episodes, season one. Cause you could have, because like I said, these kids are terminal. They're, they're not going to live forever. That's why they're at this house. Do a, just have a set. Okay, we're doing 15 episodes, five episodes, nice concrete. That way you could see the progression of the deterioration of the characters and then have it end, have a definite, say, 15 episode end where the last per- remaining member of this Midnight Club succumbs to their illness you might even want to do um you could even do something like a fear street thing yeah. where you you have a group of you know five that would or six be good. do like five or six that you start with and then you get you know five or six episodes next season there's only one of that original cast left right. who mm-hmm. is now introducing everyone else to it and then we kind of cycle through that way and it becomes this kind of because of the short lifespans, we do get like multi-generational exploration of whatever mystery you want to tell about this. Or one of the cult members infiltrate the midnight club. And yeah. that's, that would have been, you know, that could have been your big reveal and of like, they keep, they keep having these because you have the, they set it up perfectly when she vanishes for two weeks and then she comes back in cured. Have one have that be the cult member that infiltrated the house. They vanished to take back what they're learning about the house, about what's going on, and then have them show back up, mirac- quote unquote, cured because they was never sick to begin with. Yeah. And just have it, and then you kind of introduce the cult that way. I think that would have been a more concrete way to to kind of tighten this up a little bit and and portray the the tone that they were going for that or we need a little bit more um credit to heather langenkamp for this because she she is able to play concerned and empathetic but just have enough underlying kind of offness to be uh to be unsettling and yeah, I mean, let's just face it. At the end, when she takes the wig off and yeah. she's got the freaking hourglass tattoo on her neck, I think we all just raised the collective. What? Yeah, it kind of, you know that that makes sense to me on some level, but I that's one of those things. Like, I really need to see what the actual plan is for that because there's a lot of ways it could go. Mm-hmm. Um, it could easily be that her thing is, yeah, I was one of them. I'm the one who actually figured out how this works. And in order to stave off my own illness, I just keep all I need is for this special location for people to die here. I don't have to do anything all that special beyond that. But as long as you're here and as long as you all keep dying on a regular clip, I'm okay. Again, Netflix, call us. (laughs) 
And, and you what, get that one for free. That's the last one I'm giving would, out for free tonight. Would you? I would love to have it like show her at like her actual home away from that, like doing research and everything, and then just pay it back and and say that she lived on Elm Street. I would have popped for that. <laughs> Just, just as a wink and nod. Robert, I almost forgot. There was another comment that you left uh, on the chat that I'm kind of surprised you haven't brought up yet. Mm. How dare you have someone work at S Mart and have no mention of Bruce Campbell? There's an episode where Anya is, we find out she's dying. Like she's in the last kind of throes of uh, her life. She's delirious and she's dreaming. And in her dream slash nightmare at the time, Um, She got cured. Whatever ritual they did worked. Everyone else died, though. And now she's not sure how to go on with life, but she's, you know, living. And her job is at S-Mart. Now, (laughs) if you're like me and have seen the Evil Dead franchise and get a kick out of Shop Smart, Shop S-Mart, you don't get to just throw that in there without some kind of Bruce Campbell reference. I don't care what it is. You got to throw something in there. Or at least like have him as a having come through the line as a customer or be the manager. Or just have to do a voiceover just as a customer. Just have it be we know Bruce Campbell's voice. Yeah. Let him be the disembodied voice on the PA system. Yeah, that would have been been that would have been good. But yeah, it's like why or or he is there because we know Ash never graduated above stalker. Have him be the (laughs) stock boy in the back. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. Why throw that reference in there if you're not going to do anything with it? There's no point to an Easter egg just for the sake of an Easter egg. Yeah, have again, the payoff. There's a, again, there's a few of those kind of scattered throughout this. And uh, I get that it's kind of Flanagan paying homage to his influences and whatnot. And that's fine. But, again, you get a couple of Stephen King references, which is not surprising considering Flanagan's a big fan of his work. Again, you have a few Lovecraft references with, you know, kind of the eerie cult. And then I I mentioned earlier, you have Amash actually uh, make the Cthulhu joke at one point. It's okay to have those in there, but there's a degree of payoff that becomes necessary. Otherwise, this comes across as a little bit self-indulgent and Mm -hmm. just a little bit too much winking and nodding at the camera. Or um, how did I... Okay. I heard... The Rings of Power series. I'm not going to get into this. Okay, so I'm, I'm referencing this like, for a specific we, reason. It's like we are not discussing Rings of Power tonight on the grounds of I have pumpkins to carve. But I heard it described as at least like 70% the pointing Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Yeah. Like if you're familiar or not, you, ha- you need to be familiar with the lore. But if you are, you know, hey, that's, that's Gandalf. Hey, that's whatever. You know, like there's a lot of that. And if See, I never associate that Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I always associate the Avengers with uh, Steve Rogers going, oh, I got that reference. That's that always the way I remember it. Yeah, uh, either of those works. But and there's you run the risk when you when you have this many kind of homages without any kind of real narrative heft or payoff, it becomes a little bit again, it's a little bit just too much trying to, hey, I got that reference without actually contributing to the narrative or the emotional tone. Yeah. Uh, um, Jason, nice shot of your neck. I know it's pretty nice. <laughs> Sorry, it's just I just looked down. I'm like, what the? <laughs> I I think the last thing I want to touch on. Um, they fudge the timeline on some of the music <laughs> they choose for this movie for the show. Oh, there is so many anachronisms. There's like, all there's over a the lot place. of. Somebody did not do enough research. 
there's a lot of this that like there's this kind of blending of the late 90s and the early 2000s that goes on and i get it there's a lot of overlap i really do but if you if again we're getting a pretty hard and fast timeline here of 96 97 um your choice of like green day songs then becomes important because we know which ones came out after (laughs) that particular date there was one episode they make it the comment about the international space station that didn't launch till 98 yeah so yeah there is a ton of anachronisms in this and it's eh, it's a bit of a problem just a little bit of one especially for nitpicky little nerds like us you know, again, especially when you as a show make an issue out of it. You know, there, um, I think one of the better period pieces from somewhat relatively recently, especially in the timeline. Um, if you've never seen No Country for Old Men, that movie is set in literally 1980. And I saw an interview with some of the costume designers and whatnot who said that was a real pain in the butt year because trying to what did people wear in 1980 and the reality is a lot of it was holdover from the 70s because the 80s style hadn't developed yet but you couldn't style didn't really develop till i'd say 85 yeah but you couldn't lean into the 70s aesthetic either because then you're signaling you know too much 70s so there's there's this weird kind of hybrid period around the 80 81 when you have the 70s kind of style choices in terms of like suits but a lot of the coloration and a lot of the uh, material and whatnot is very different from what it was at like the peak 70s and nailing that is very hard so I, i'd say that to say i understand the difficulty inherent in this mm-hmm. but again if you make a point about your timeline you're gonna get held accountable to it well is there anything else we want to talk about or have we uh beaten this poor show into the ground enough um I think the last thing I want to say, again, Flanagan does a great job with mood and atmosphere. It's kind of what he does best. Uh, And there's a nice atmosphere to this show. I think it's unfortunate that the tone is so all over the place. We mentioned the actors. They do the best with what they've got to work with. And, you know, they do. So good on them for that. I'm going to say I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of these actors show back up in the fall of the House of Usher. I I really think they're going to do great things in the future. I imagine so. Um, yeah, it. this is not a... It sounds like we... It, I think it comes across like we hate the show. I don't think any of us hate the show. It's just a letdown a, relative to expectations. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not bad per se, but it's bland. It's very bland. It, it's very the, bland. The, the expectation versus reality was very skewed. Because the trailer looked phenomenal, looked like we was going to get something that was right in all three of our wheelhouses to a varying degree. What we got was meh. And it's a very unfinished narrative, ultimately, too. And again, if they're able to get multiple seasons, then they can fix some of this stuff. If they wind up being standalone, this does not have a satisfactory conclusion. Let this be an example of things you don't do in the future. And the rewatchability is not there. No, not barring, whatsoever. Bar again, barring like refreshing yourself for another second season. Yeah, there's not there's nothing of rewatch value here. Absolutely. All right. So 
Flanagan, we do still love you. We do still love your work. Please don't let us down with the fall of the House of Usher. If you do, we will light torches and come with you up with pitchforks. <laughs> oh, great. We'll We're going slide, angry mob, huh? We'll, we'll let you slide once because we think Netflix had a hand in it, but we won't let you we won't let you mess something up like that. You, you screw up young adult horror. No one really bats an eye. You screw up Poe, you got a problem. Very true. Right. All right. Well, then I think it is time for us to move on to plugs. Jason, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Uh, you can find me at Mosaic East Coast on Twitter, uh, part of the Mosaic Media Corp, um, where we do the second and short podcast from the cheap seats, where we meet all of your fantasy football needs. We've been kind of on a hiatus because I stayed at the top of the show. I almost died. And I was on vacation, so we're getting back into the swing of things. Uh, Tyler is doing a lot of amazing stuff over there with his graphics, and we're getting the Mosaic Media brand out there. So go check us out on any of your podcast listening forums, as well as the pictures and interviews and stuff that Tyler's putting up on uh, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All right, Mr. Winfrey. Uh, you can find me at various places. Um, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast if you're interested in the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. This last week was a review of UFC 280, which was a great card on paper. But uh, when you have a disputed, call it disputed decision, um, a co-main event where one of the fighters was basically fraudulent in the build-up to the fight, uh, and his shoulder was basically held together with chewing gum. Literally dislocated like 10 seconds into the fight. I had a car radio that was held together with chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I believe it. And a main event that was important, but maybe not quite as fireworks as people were anticipating, uh, which is you know, your anticipation there is going to be your anticipation. But my full review of that event is up on the latest episode, as well as a preview of this com this week's coming event. Uh, UFC on ESPN Plus 71, headlined by Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen. Yes, Arnold Allen. Uh, another British prospect at Featherweight who I occasionally confuse him with, but uh, this was this is Allen, uh, which is a good fight. So if you want a preview of that, again, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week over at 411mania.com. AW's Dark Elevation, that's their YouTube squash show on Thurs on Mondays. MLW, if they release stuff on Thursdays, and they should be getting back to releasing stuff, I think, in November. So I'll be on the lookout for that. And WWE SmackDown on Fridays. So if you're interested in any of that, I'm over there. Friday, the SmackDown stuff is live. The other stuff is taped, but you can find my full reports. I do occasionally get drafted into other live coverage. So you, I will pop up on other stuff from time to time. And I cover the UFC events. So Saturday, again, the UFC event. Uh, be on the lookout for that. And thankfully, no one I work for knows that Anderson Silva is boxing Jake Paul on Saturday, or I might be covering that. No one needs to be exposed to Jake Paul. Eh, there's a decent chance he gets knocked out this time. Okay, I'd pay money to see that. That's kind of what they're betting on. <laughs> All right. As far as my time here on the Rattle Broadcasting Network, I've got a few days off, but I will be back to host a discussion on the first season of House of the Dragon. 
David Wright will be joining us along with David Lazaro and um, Andrew Orozco. Oh my God, Andrew, I'm so sorry. My mind blanked there. I forgot your name. I feel terrible. Because there was another Andrew. There is another Andrew. Uh, but we're looking forward to that. As far as my time where I have not sold my soul to Mark Radelich, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We just wrapped up our final convention for 2022. That was at Anime Nebraska in Omaha. Wonderful turnout. Great convention. Really hope to be back there next year. In the meantime, we are getting our stores ready for our Black Friday sale that's going to be kicking off. And we will be doing our charity drive in which from Black Friday to Christmas Eve, Every order that is placed, we will donate $5 to um, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Uh, That is any order that is placed from either our Etsy shop or our handmade at Amazon shop. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. And for Jason Teasley and Robert Winfrey, I'm Alexis Haina saying, be well, be safe, behave.